Welcome back to another Untitled Movie Review. I am one of your hosts, Matt Rohrbeck, alongside he's allergic to tomatoes, but he is tomato meter approved, Eric Marchin. Good day, Sir Matt. How are you on this fateful afternoon? What did you, am I knighted? Oh boy. I, am I the titular green knight? No, I'm the, what color knight would I be? And what color knight would you be, Eric? Uh, I would be the Red Ranger. Okay. <laughs> Sure. Today we are reviewing David Lowry's The Green Knight, which will be released on July 30th, 2021 uh, in theaters only by A24 starring Dev Patel. A24 in the US, Elevation Pictures here in Canada, as you you wear an A24 shirt. I know, I'm a mark. No. Um, Yes, thank you for the clarification. We are in Canada. Shout out to Elevation. Sorry about that. (laughs) (laughs) i'm reading off wikipedia and they only usually list the american no one cares about us canadians i'm sorry i'm reading off wikipedia sorry are you sorry uh starring deb patel alicia vikander joel edgerton sean harris ralph innocent uh barry keegan is it keegan Uh, keogh Keogh? Is that how you yeah. say it? Yeah, Barry yeah, Keogh. Barry Keogh. Like Riley Keogh. It's the same thing. Interesting. It's different spelling. But it's, yeah. Cool. Uh, Aaron Kellerman and uh, many, many more. Uh, Eric, how are you? Matt, I'm good. You know, it's funny. We saw this uh, on a Monday morning. Yes. Shout out to Elevation Pictures. Thank you so much. <laughs> yes. Uh, at the, I feel bad at the light box. Yeah. And oh, well, it, yes. What, it, it's such one. It was amazing going back to the light box because i think any movie at the light box is already is the best way yeah um you know with the theatrical experience you can show me anything there and i'd pretty much enjoy it i mean i know you've had some problems with one michael bay movie uh that you didn't get through oh six underground but that was in the before times um i mean a bad movie is still a bad movie um no and especially one that that's is that long? But at least you're obnoxious. Did you ever watch the it? Proper way? No, I haven't. Okay, I have not. Good for you. <laughs> uh, which is which is strange. But it was one of those movies that came out late in in that calendar year, and it was just I, at that point I was watching so many you know award screener links that I just kind of I'll get back yeah. to it at some point when there's like a new Michael Bay movie. You don't. Or you don't need to. <laughs> I know, but but you know me. I'm I'm like that. I'm sadistic in that way. And the dogs are barking, and with the dogs barking, that means one thing, Matt. We should be talking about the titular green knight um so as i apologize to anybody listening matt apologized to elevation i'll apologize to <laughs> anybody uh who does not like dogs barking which i understand uh there's a nice uh fox boy in this you know? yeah there is which is not uh, a dog but i mean if you're but going sort to... of like in the same kind of you know would you consider them like sort of similar i would well if dogs dog. didn't exist or say dogs went extinct i feel like people would adopt foxes Foxes, like that would be like the next like logical choice um (laughs) but going into our thoughts on pets (laughs) uh which you know what are your thoughts on cats if you can adopt a stray please do yeah um you know uh but going into the green knight watching the film it's not what you would expect it to be uh the way that it is advertised and we've talked about this on the regular show before where a24 has a knack for interesting people in art house films, but presenting them as uh, a a genre movie, specifically horror films. This wasn't sort of marketed as a horror movie. This was kind of an action adventure in the vein of more recent um, adaptations of 
medieval-esque stories. Everything from Anton Fuqua's King Arthur to Guy Ritchie's uh, King Arthur. <laughs> Uh, This Arthurian legend is based on a poem by an anonymous source, uh, but it was something that David Lowry has been kind of wanting to get made since he was a freshman in college and had been thinking about uh, quite a bit. And now he had the opportunity to do so. Um, But while you're watching the film, you'll realize almost right away that this is a movie that is methodically paced. Um, It takes a lot of time to kind of build to certain moments, but visually the aesthetics are so strong and you have at the center of the story, Dev Patel as Sir Gowan, not to be confused with Lawrence Gowan, the Canadian, uh, no one was confused. No No one was confused. (laughs) Just want to clarify that he's not playing Lawrence Gowan, but he's playing Sir Gowan. Uh, the Valiant Knight. That who, Gowan biopic everyone is dying to see. I, I would actually be curious <laughs> to see what that would look like. Because uh, his songs are getting a lot of use uh, in Canadian films as of late with uh, Moonlight Desires specifically. Uh, I don't doubt but, it, yeah. But going back to uh, The Green Knight, um, you have Sir Gowan, who is the nephew of King mm. Arthur, an aged and old ailing King Arthur, played by Sean Harris. And Actually, probably one of his most warmest roles. Yes. Um, Usually a villain. Yes. And and, and often quite intimidating. Um, Here he, you know, King Arthur is at the end of his life and he's looking at his nephew as the, you know, the heir to the throne. The possible heir. yeah. Yeah. And sort of joining the ranks of the round table. And in this story, we learn of Gowan's kind of origins that, you know, he wants to prove himself. He wants to be the figure that, you know, his uncle sees him to be that, that potential. But in order to do so, he needs to have the experience. He needs to have the stories to back it up. Like many of the Knights of the round table and Merlin as well. And so the opportunity presents itself on Christmas day, um, a gift that also has its a own new Christmas classic. Yes. Sinister connotation when the titular Green Knight played by uh, Ralph. All the kids will be playing this game every Christmas. Yeah, I hope forward. not. Ralph Innocence. Uh, 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 no, Innocence? Ralph, is that? Uh, Inson. Yes. Ralph Inson. Innocent or Inson? Inson. Yes. Okay. From The Witch, which will also be interesting for the A24 fans because sure, yeah. Ralph Innocent and Kate Dickey were both the parents in The Witch. And there's a scene of editing where Ralph Innocent has this very sort of tenor-esque voice that comes through when Kate Dickey is reading uh, this letter that the Green Knight wrote. And I think that is partly intentional because when you cast those two actors who are best known before that for Robert Eggers' movie, you kind of think like, okay, well, how can you not? Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously you can't, see ralph annis anison in in the the actual makeup but his voice is but his voice is so distinct um and so as the story goes and in the poem um whoever challenges the green knight is allowed to strike this sort of otherworldly character um but in a year hence um or year fourth pardon me um that green knight will be able to strike the same blow back and 
within that year, the victor will also have or be able to use the axe. They don't really go into that in this movie, which I thought was kind of interesting, where the axe itself is just more symbolic of the the gesture and sort of the impending doom that Gowan uh, might face on his journey. But essentially what you have is an odyssey that is about nobility, uh, courage, and the idea that a character has to create his own sort of basically uh, legend in order to have that echo through the ages. And we see that in Dev Patel's performance as a brash young man wanting to impress somebody he idolizes. Prove himself, yeah. To prove himself and feel there's a little bit of imposter syndrome in, in that performance as well that he kind of feels at first not sort of ready or, or good enough to yeah. be sitting because he is not a knight uncle. Yeah. yeah and so with you know this challenge he you know the the classic sort of saying of fools rush in he doesn't heed the warning that kate dickie's guinevere gives him or doesn't really kind of listen to what the game is and then when you know he chops off this character's head this green knight's head he realizes oh no this character will be able to do the same thing to me in a year hence so a year goes by quickly the legend has been created he's known throughout the land and in some ways it's almost like you know it comes in twofold he's a celebrity but the celebrity that he's gained has kind of corroded him and turned him into kind of more of a bitter person because he doesn't really want to be known as the guy that cut off this knight's head because he knows what's coming it's a constant reminder of what will be ultimately his doom that too and i I think he doesn't think he deserves it either because the green knight just kneels before him and he just slices off his head he doesn't really do anything to you know earn that kind of respect from everyone and yeah that's where that imposter syndrome kind of comes from right and it's a weird self-fulfilling prophecy as well in 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 that way where you have these characters that you know if if you're familiar with the story you kind of know where it's ultimately going to go yeah but i think what david lowry does so well here is he's able to layer that with again a certain melodic and sort of yeah meditative kind of style that makes you contemplate what the character is going through and that might confuse some people in the sense of thinking like this is a more convoluted or complicated story than it actually is yeah i will admit that it is and i will admit that like this is one of those movies that i think benefited us not recording the review right away and and benefited from a discussion between the two of us off air obviously after the movie and because i feel like i'm i'm of two minds of the movie and um when i first when it first finished i i didn't know quite how to feel because it really has this very challenging you know pace to it where it is a slow 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 burn although it has beautiful cinematography an incredible score the style is off the charts the production design is is great the locations the location dev patel is awesome and there's so much there that is fantastic but i felt felt like the film really challenged my you know, not my patience or anything, but it really challenges you to kind of just sit with it and, you know, not expect it to just be this, 
what a24 does so well which is kind of market to the masses and then trick them into seeing you know an art house movie <laughs> and then like but then you gotcha yeah and and you should know by now and i think some people really love a24 for that and then there's some you know a, an, an audience that doesn't notice what logo pops up at the beginning of the movie that will ultimately go i was bored to tears throughout this whole thing and it's not that i was bored to tears because i liked mostly everything that was there it's just i felt myself almost like we talked meditative like i was zoning out at times but i I, not in like a a bad way either but i just felt like it was so challenging to watch but then after it finished and you like you said it, it it does maybe not complicate things but uh or make it convoluted but it it takes this really incredible style and tries to layer that onto this simple story and, and bring you big metaphors and different things like that where there are times where after discussion with you i was like okay what did this mean or or what was happening here and then because you were more familiar with the the poem and and we discussed it a bit more and and had a really great conversation there which i don't want to go too into detail here because I don't want to spoil things. Um, yeah, there's not really anything to spoil with the spoil, exception yeah. of just watching it for the first time. And there are visual... But I didn't know anything about the poem. So right, right, right. Yeah. And, and a lot of people don't. I mean, like, it's it's not something like, you know, a lot of people are, are focusing on medieval history or something like that. Sure, yeah. But if you're expecting to get medieval times the movie, you're not going to get that no, either, no, no, right? No, like, no. you're not going to get, like, a You'll classic... You'll get that in The Last Duel. <laughs> yeah, or something like that. But, but even thinking of... 80s fantasy films and and the way that those movies are paced those those films i'm thinking of john borman's excalibur i'm thinking of crawl i'm thinking of uh the late great richard donner's lady hawk there were a number of them um they have a deliberate pace as well but those movies are paced in a way that are still it's still faster than this like i could see some people saying oh this is you know it's like watching paint dry or something like that but when you watch those movies, those were made at a time where they were also in response to Star Wars. Sure. Because a lot of those fantasy movies are incorporating science fiction elements, where this yeah. is almost incorporating anime into it. Weirdly yeah, enough, anime if, if, and if, just if, classic fantasy. Yeah, stuff, like Attack yeah. on Titan and things like that. Yep. You, you, like it's it's hard not to think of those things. But on top of that, I would say the pacing is actually similar to you know art house wise is similar to something like Tarkovsky's stalker where you have a story that on the surface is presented like a science fiction story. I'm talking about stalker here where, you know, you have these characters entering a zone or a world where, you know, there is UFOs, but the, the environment in which they've inhabited has changed drastically and it affects the character's sort of point of view. And that movie moves at a pace all its own and you have to be on its wavelength in order to kind of be engulfed by it and 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 sort of take the the riches that it presents with you and if you're not in that mindset or in that mood at that time or not expecting to have something that moves at a at a pace that this does yeah you will be challenged by it you will probably feel bored or fidgety at moments um but then that and being then even said, with the casting, I think yes. the casting is meant to trick you a little bit as well with Alicia Vikander playing dual roles because yep. the idea was a bit confusing to me sort too. of yeah. playing a, a, a narrative flip. I was even talking to um, a publicist afterwards where it almost feels a little bit similar to David Lynch's Lost Highway or Mulholland Drive, where there's conversation, a, a weirdly meta conversation about sort of, you know, the plot 
changing or the game yeah. changing and the plot yeah. sort of taking a, a twist uh, halfway through. And I think even those little moments or like the side quests where you have uh, Aaron Kellyman's character um, yeah. sort of introduced and it's sort of a way to detour from the main mission because it is pretty straightforward going from A to B that you want these moments to kind of throw you off a little bit and whether or not the character is in some sort of weird purgatory or not and or yeah. if the character is tripping out on magic mushrooms like yeah. those are things that you're the, the, the director is continually playing with and absolutely and i think that's what ultimately keeps your attention throughout the thing like each sequence or set piece or side quest or th that he goes on throughout this i think even with its snail's pace like really kind of like and and getting back to my main point of like this is a movie that I sat with. I originally was like, I don't know how I feel about it. Like the pacing and the story. Cause like we said, it's a very simple story that felt convoluted in the moment. But the more I thought about each individual side quest or set piece or moment in the film, or I talked about it with you or I sat with it, I couldn't get the movie out of my head for all those other reasons of like cinematography score, Dev Patel, each of those individual moments. And I liked it more and more after I sat with it and, and thought about the movie. So that's what I meant by at the beginning of at the top of the show saying, I'm glad we didn't review this right away. And sometimes I think it's good to sit with a movie and not just, you know, you, I, I, I'm, I vomit my thoughts out on Twitter all the time after I see a movie. And sometimes after, you know, a rewatch or sometimes a couple days later, like now, uh, I can't stop thinking about a movie. And even though I was originally kind of tepid on the thing, I've actually kind of come full circle and I'm like, no, I like really like the round table. Uh, yeah, there you go. And I, I really, really like the movie a lot. Like, I still think that it, it's pacing, even though it's intentional, uh, was a challenge. And I think the story, I will stand by that it didn't always click with me. But then, and I don't always love that a movie where I have to discuss it with someone to kind of understand either what was happening or it was more simple than I thought or. Um, like we talked about ambiguous things and I love that in, in film and where you can have these conversations and go, oh, did he, you know, did this happen at this moment or what was going on here and, and, and things like that. Or what do these then, characters mean metaphorically yeah, or, or yeah. what are they sort of aligned with in terms of the overall story thematically? Yes. And I think that's what this movie does so well where yes, the production design and all that stuff is magical. It is incredible looking. And we saw it at one of the best theaters you could possibly do it. And then the story, it is just one of those movies that I think gets better and better. The more you talk about it with people and the more it sits with you. And, um, well, so, it's such a visual film as well, right? Like when you're yeah. watching it that like, I keep thinking of little moments throughout the film, like the way that he, that Lowry frames, these grouping of mushrooms almost like it's an egg sack yeah, like yeah. underneath a cave and the way that like the sound of dev patel ripping you the know, sound design out. dude like just talk about the green knight in general like every time he's walking sounds like trees getting chopped down and stuff like that and the movie is just littered with that where which it's is just something like, that darren aronofsky does a lot and that's another movie that this will probably be compared sure, noah, to is yeah. noah where like again he's taking kind of like the sci-fi fantasy approach to a 
biblical story and then adding like giant rock monsters which is why i really enjoyed noah at the time right I but also it, but... again subverting your expectations and playing with the iconography that you are familiar with and trying to do something new but also it's still being presented more so with noah you know being a paramount release uh you know within the studio system and i don't like noah as much as i like the green knight but i respect noah so much for doing what it did and i think yeah. that those like i would actually be curious to rewatch it you know having same yeah. been removed from it for a while but you look at that film and you look at green knight and you and you look at like okay that's what great filmmaking is you can take a story that is so familiar but if you have the right filmmaker or just an interesting sort of perspective on things you can you see can something you've it. never seen exactly before, yeah. or you yeah. can bring something like this movie to me is is special because it feels like a film that is of yesteryear, but also yeah. at the same time, it's weirdly innovative and fresh yeah. with sort of its concept. And like you, I, I did like the film after watching it, but having sort of just continually thinking about it and sort of it yeah. being, you know, engulfed in my mind, I was just thinking like, man, there's a lot of stuff in here, both on a technical scale and on a narrative storytelling structure that is just fascinating. And like, yeah. I want to watch it again and sort of Same. dissect certain elements. Like again, like that whole sequence, that horror movie sequence with, uh, Winifred Aaron, yeah. with yeah. Uh, Aaron Kellyman's character is incredible. Like that, that to me is worth the price of admission for this film. And there's still a great movie around that whole moment. But like that to me is like, I'm thinking to myself, like, I, I mean, he's dabbled a little bit with it, even though a ghost story is not a horror film, but I want him to make a horror movie now, even yeah. if it isn't quote unquote elevated horror movie at eight twenty four. Like, I think he would create something so atmospheric because in that one portion of this movie, I was feeling dread. And, well, atmospheric and, is the perfect word for this movie. Yeah. And discomfort. And yeah. th there's a weirdness that's not just based on like a jump scare. It's just, it's meant to entice you in an interesting way, but you're still unnerved by it all. And I think the whole movie has that. And it has such great world building where even though, again, like it challenged me to, you know, completely pay attention the whole time. But like, cause I was kind of here and there going, Oh, this is a slow burn. But Every time it would hook you with a sequence that made me want to know more about that either person, that area, that animal, those giant attack on Titan uh, giants, the like different things like that, where I'm like, there's so much great world building here that I would love Lowry to even revisit this world. It doesn't necessarily have to be, um, you know, uh, a certain. Uh, Sir Gowan Gowan um, uh, movie again, but like there's so many cool elements that he set up, like you said, that you could explore different areas of this, uh, you know, world that he's created here that is both familiar and fresh. And then I feel like, you know, for the first time in a while, a King Arthur kind of story that usually we go, Oh my God, I've heard this fucking story a million times. Um, I'm finally going like, Oh, I want to see more in this world. And this is coming from a guy who, whose fantasy stuff doesn't, isn't necessarily my thing. And I think that's why the movie was maybe even a bit more challenging for me than someone who is kind of already into this kind of stuff Right. where I feel like, you know, you can deal with a slower paced movie as long as fantasy is your shit. But knights and you know monsters and and and, and this kind of setting never really did it for well, me you've been very candid and, about you know your sort of 
apprehension towards the Lord of the Rings movies, even yeah. giving it a chance and, and trying yeah. to get into it. And it's, but I get it's that. Like worked. it's, it's a genre that, that even more so than, you know, like others, it's, it's, it's the one that there's a lot of sort of apprehension towards because I think it is the style and the filmmaking itself that kind of turns people off but it's always been a, a part of like even something like star wars it's just been more digestible sure, because yeah. in star wars it's taking laser classic swords. Well, laser swords <laughs> but it's taking like the classic like joseph campbell sort of narrative structure and things like that in the sci-fi elements that fantasy doesn't have where fantasy like again you you look at um you know recent properties like king arthur and robin hood and even peter pan and you know we'll i guess we'll talk about that in a second as well um you look at those properties and you think to yourself they've been done so many times within the last 10 years um you know whether they be you know ridley scott's uh robin hood with russell crowe or the horrible taron egerton one uh where ben mendelson is the villain and completely yeah i don't even think i saw it i don't know and it's just like you need, I think you need the right filmmaker or the right idea to kind of invest, you know, two hours or an hour and a half into something like this. And you need to do something fresh with it because, you know, the pan movies that we've gotten, oh God, um, yeah. it just, it gets to a point where it's like, well, why are they doing this with the exception of, do they think that the, like when I say them, like the studio is going to make money off of this. And the reason why I bring up pan as well is because David Lowry is in the process of filming uh, Peter Pan and Peter Wendy, Pan, right? Yeah. Peter Pan and Wendy. And to me, it's like, okay, well, haven't we gotten enough with, you know, the Ben Zeitlin movie and uh, the, did you ever watch Wendy? I, or no? I haven't yet. And I want no, to, but I. every time I keep going to it, it, there's something that stops me. And I think it's because I was burnt out with the Joe Wright movie. And that's not sure. Ben yeah. Zeitlin's fault. That's just, you know, because the property has been done enough now where it's like, it kind of is, is already failed. And then, you know, like even the, the PJ Hogan version from the early two thousands, which is actually probably one of the best versions. It's just like, Okay, none of these movies, you know, worked for an audience. So why do they keep making them? And then you watch... and King Arthur's kind of been in that realm too, right? Yeah, and then you watch the Green Knight, and you're like, okay, I'm now a little bit more interested in you know this Peter Pan and Wendy movie because of David Lowry. In the same way that like Pete's Dragon took me by surprise with the live action, which Disney I want to revisit because again. Uh, I love David Lowry and uh, Peach Dragon. I remember enjoying, but I don't remember much from it. And that was kind of before I really, you know, with a ghost story being, I think one of my favorite films of that year that I just absolutely adored um, that got me on the David Lowry train full stop. But um, that's why I've wanted to go revisit even ain't them body saints, which I haven't seen since it which was is okay. Either. It's a modest, yeah. it's a modest debut, but like it has elements in there that you can tell that he's really interested in. Like, He's a guy that visually speaking is all about texture and things that like, yes, is, is old man in the gun looks great too. And, and that's, a, yeah. that's probably one of his most like under the radar movies. And it's a strange one to call that because you have, you know, one of the biggest movie, a legend in his own right. Sure. Yeah. You know, with Robert Redford. His retirement movie. Well, not technically he was in Endgame, but <laughs> right. Yeah. But like, you know, for a lead role and, and that film as well, I feel like in years from now will be, you know, kind of the underrated film in David Lowry. I agree. Canon. And like, I, I, I love the guy because he no, no two, like he's a no tour obviously, but I feel like you couldn't put 
any two of his movies in the same kind of category, really. Or how he gets like, his movies made. Yeah. Like, you look at Green Knight and you look at a ghost story, like, they're so under the radar. Like, you, you don't even know that they're happening. I mean, obviously, you do know that Pete's Dragon and, and Peter Pan and Wendy are happening. And, you know, he seems to have forged a good relationship with Disney. And it's also, you know, talking about Jungle Cruise, he's able to in, inject some of his sort of style into those movies that make them unique onto themselves and not just kind of, you know, brand entertainment. Um, But with those little movies in between, like you get why he's doing Peter Pan and Wendy partly because he has an interesting take on it, but also, you know, that will afford him to do another ghost story or another green night. Oh, get that, get that coin, man. And then he makes like, again, yeah. Talking about jungle cruise, which we just reviewed, which you guys can check out a review right now. Um, yeah, getting someone like David Lowry involved and he's done something like Pete's Dragon that was such a pleasant surprise that didn't just feel like that, you know, Disney live action regurgitation, right? Like, or I mean, Jungle Cruise is a little different. It's not an adaptation of a an animated movie or characters or anything like that. But yeah, I mean, if Disney can get more people like David Lowry involved to make those kind of movies, we'll be way more interested in them, right? I mean, and then I guess like having Barry Jenkins for Lion King too. And you do have interesting filmmakers that they're bringing in. It's just, uh, you hope that they can kind of elevate the material, but yeah, getting back to the green Knight, like, yeah, he's just one of my favorite filmmakers working. Uh, and even after a little bit of a, uh, a confused feeling after this movie, it is one of those movies that I just sit with it. Think about it. Like again, when we talked about some of the metaphors in the movie after, uh, after seeing it together, I started to kind of go, Oh shit, that is really interesting. And that's kind of what I thought was going on. Um, I love, you know, just the whole thing about, you know, proving oneself and, and, and imposter syndrome and, um, courage and things like that. And it's all kind of plays out in that last act really interestingly too. And and what it means, right? Like the idea that it's not just, like a title you know you it's one thing to have a title but to actually have that as a character as a Mm -hmm. person and to earn it yeah yeah and then also just thinking about like you know lowry being very candid about you know re-editing you know yeah i would be so interested to see what his original cut was that he wasn't happy with not that i because what we've heard is that he re-edited the movie over COVID because he was not happy with the original cut that was going to premiere at South by Southwest last year. And that he, he turned it into the movie that it is now, which a, a much slower meditative kind of pace to it. Um, that is more thoughtful rather than maybe heightening some of the more, you know, fantastical actiony moments of the movie. Uh, I don't know. That's just, you know, what people assume he's talked about that. He slowed it down and made it more of the movie that he, he wanted. And he's much happier with this cut. So, I mean, good for him for taking the time and, and making this movie and being unapologetic for it. Right. Because, and that's the other thing I want to give a shout out to a 24, the, the distributor and, you know, production, uh, well, they just bought it. Actually, they didn't produce it, right? It was Braun and and a couple of other companies. But anyways, A twenty four for taking movies like this and Elevation in Canada, um, and, and taking risks on you know because I feel like The Green Knight is a huge risk. Ghost Story is a huge risk. Every A twenty four movie, no one is releasing. Well, we just reviewed movies. Zola, right? Zola, like there are a bunch of movies where you know they have a distinct kind of. When you see, we watched the trailer for Lamb the other day, which we'll talk about on the next draft of the Untitled Movie Podcast. You see a movie that's being released by A24 and you can usually tell that maybe like a neon would have released that movie as well, but there's like no one else other than those two studios and maybe some smaller ones. But I mean like neon and A24 are kind of on that, 
you know, they're the 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 Hollywood end indie, indies, yeah. yeah. And like they're taking risks and releasing movies that no one else would even touch or even let be made. So like I always got to applaud them, and it might they might not always work for you, but you kind of go, okay, good good on you guys for you know, there's always got to be some sort of masturbation scene in, in them, which is the joke for a while in an A24 or, or it takes or place like, in Florida yeah, or, or something four like by three, the or yeah, four by ratio. three. Yeah. And then like uh black and white or, you know, on film actually, or certain like actors that. are always in them, but, yeah. but you also look again, like a 24 specifically is, um, a great studio for really cultivating directors. Yes. Like yeah. you, you see people like Ari Aster and Robert Eggers more recently coming back and David Lowry coming back, even though, you know, because they give them the freedom to be weird and be, make these movies that they wouldn't be able to make. Anyways. Yeah. Like even though maybe one of them got picked up, for example, you know, at a festival like Sundance or something like that, but then, you know, they make a movie for the studio in house yeah. and, you know, they, they, they get to make the film that they've been wanting to for forever like you look at you know again like Ari Aster doing uh Hereditary and then you know his his passion project was Midsummer, and he had written Midsummer first and so it, it, Matt's flashing his A24 uh shirt Midsummer which shirt is, yeah um <laughs> You know, like so for and he's now working with them again for Disappointment Boulevard with Joaquin Phoenix. But then you look at like even like with this year, you know, you have Joanna Hogg's Souvenir Part Two coming out, which is, again, really weird that thing. Right. movie Having a sequel. Um, And then like, you know, Sean Baker's film being picked up uh, afterwards and them having that relationship with absolutely makes sense. (laughs) Yeah. Right. So like those kind of things are kind of great to see, like people having a home you know these filmmakers having a home yeah and can come back to and even champion when they branch out yes you know? and, and going behind their directors in the sense of letting him re-edit the movie and bring this slower pace and like maybe these people don't have final cut but it seems like a 24 kind of gives them free reign to make the movie that they want to make right yeah. no matter now, if it will alienate audiences or anything like that's why their marketing team does a pretty good job at you know, I, I made a joke saying they, they trick people, but like, but it's a good uh, trick. It's, it's it, like, it is because you trick giving, them to see a great movie. We're, we're putting cheese on your broccoli. So you'll that, eat it. Yes. Yes. And that might not always work. Cause some people just don't like broccoli. Like they'll go in and go, Oh, it comes at night. Fucking boring. It's terrible or whatever. Under the <laughs> like, skin isn't a Scarlett like, Johansson movie. Yeah. And shit like that. You're always going to have those people, but if you can even get a good amount of those people to see a movie like green Knight or any of the aforementioned A24 movies we brought up that they've kind of, I don't want to say mismarketed, but, um, you know, they, I, they think they have one of the best marketing teams on the planet. Look, they've built a brand out of this indie label. I'm wearing an A24 hat and t-shirt right now. And, um, and I feel like they've created this vibe that either people are really going to land with, or they have these really great trailers that will convince people to go see their movies, these art house films that like, they would have normally never gone to see right like yeah. and and they have they do such a good job at that and then you'll see something like green knight and sure maybe for a large like 
I wouldn't be surprised if this movie has a terrible cinema score. Yeah, right? and an audience and like, rating on, of, on of terrible, Tomatoes. like yeah. in, and a negative audience rating, right? But this one, a twenty four, does it for the critics. And <laughs> I mean, yes, they kind of, uh, they kind of do, right? And like, but they have their passionate fan base, and whether that's a lot of you know, film bros or film Twitter or just, uh, you know, and ben then you Shane. get, yeah, Ben Share, buddy, Ben Shane, God bless him. Um, but you look at like, eight, like, like even now, like, you know, Criterion announcing that uh, Uncut Gems is going to be on the first A24 film. Yeah. And Criterion. like the, their relationship with the Safties. Again, the Safties w- wanted to make yeah. Uncut Gems for so long. And, you know, after, you know, working with them on, on Good Time, they finally got to do it. And with the Sandman, the original actor that they wanted for the film. Yeah. And so you, you, you think like, like, I'm just so happy that they're pushing the boundaries, but I also want to give a little bit of criticism back, not please. Yeah. Complete praise is that they can sometimes do a film dirty. If, uh, if the film does not get a, 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 a good response. And I look at under the silver Lake yeah. as that example where I think that that movie is, and will be a cult film as, as time goes by and more people find it. But I think that because of its poor response, it can and holding it for almost a year and a half and then dumping it on VOD uh, really did that film a disservice. And it's not a masterpiece, but it's a much better movie than its reputation would have you um, think it's, 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 it's actually a very solid little movie. I agree. And if you haven't watched it, you guys should seek it out because I think it is totally underrated. Um, But yeah, the green Knight again, more I thought about it, the more I loved. It's just an absolute masterclass in production design, sound design, you know, cinematography, the score, which we haven't really talked about, but it has this wonderful kind of, you know, uh, enchanting enchantment to it. Yeah, it's a perfect word. And like, I think that's what the movie is. It's mesmerizing. And like, yeah, that mesmerizing sometimes put me in a hypnotic state where I was like, okay, I am like, I know I'm watching everything, but I almost like escaped my own body for a bit because of the slow pacing. You're having a literal Um, out of body experience. Yeah, but it always sucked me back in and I was never like, oh my God, fucking end. It was more like, whew, you really got to pay attention to this movie because it will like, especially seeing it, I think at 10 a.m. in the morning, having to take the train in. Um, I'm not giving any excuses, but I mean, I can't wait to rewatch this um and, and just you know take it in and know it's pacing now and kind of and i knew going in it was slower because i read those interviews with lowry but um but I, also I, watching I, it in a theater like again if you're not if you don't feel comfortable yes, yet going yeah. back that's more than okay don't feel the pressure to do that you can wait for it but watching this in a theater i think did this movie a, a, a service because of its pacing, but yes, also absolutely. it's a film that you need to give yourself over to completely in order for it to project back onto you. And I feel that if you watch this at home, there would be at least two or three pauses or your, your mind would drift elsewhere due to other distractions within your life. But because you're sitting there in the dark, you're locked on the screen. You're completely, as you mentioned, mesmerized by the visuals, by sort of just the scope and scale of it. It, it helps to watch something like this in a movie theater. And, and I also think that, as you said, it's good to sit with something like this for a while and it's okay not to like it either. Like you don't have to like this movie. It's just good to maybe stew on it for a little while and just give yourself a little bit of, uh, of time to really think about it instead of rushing to give a rating or, you know, give a kind of a, a blurb review. Like it's, it's one of those movies that you sit there, you think about it, you move on, but then a scene will pop in your mind that 
that was in the film. And it's like, it's just so otherworldly that again, there's not a lot being made right now. That's quite like this. Yeah, I totally agree. I'm going to give it uh, you know, this is a movie that crept from a three out of five to a three and a half. And now I'm ultimately landed on a four because the more I thought about it, the more I really liked it and the more I wanted to watch it again and the more I couldn't stop thinking about it. So it's a, again, not for me, not a perfect movie because the pacing I still struggled with and some of the story elements I didn't completely kind of land with me, but the more I thought about them, the more I enjoyed them. And I think it kind of crushes on all of those other things. So I think it's a four out of five for me. Yeah, I was originally giving it a solid four out of five, but now having talked about it and thinking about it and and just wanting to rewatch it again, um, whether it be in the theater or the next time at home and sort of really kind of dive into it further, um, I have to give it a four and a half because it's one of nice. those movies where it's just like it completely consumes you in every mm-hmm. way, um, which is a good thing because, again, you know, uh gowan's journey consumes him that's what i was gonna say yeah perfect uh thank you all for listening uh please go check out green knight uh when it is when you feel safe doing so at your local cinema um if you guys like this we have a lot of other reviews we would love for you guys to check out um we just posted our review of jungle cruise i was stalling because i'm like what did we just record <laughs> which we just talked um, about too in yeah this review. i know i know i know it happens every time uh you guys can also check out uh, another a24 movie review uh, zola we finally reviewed so go check that out uh still water with matt damon uh snake eyes gi joe georgians uh m night Shyamalan's old uh escape room tournament of champions uh, f9 a quiet place part two speaking of neon which we mentioned pig uh, with Nicolas Cage, um, as well as we have a preview up for Dune, uh, the IMAX experience where we saw the about 20 minutes from the film. So go check that out. Which is our prune. Um, our prune, yeah. Uh, the 95th and 96th draft of the Untitled Movie Podcast uh, are out right now. Uh, two episodes back to back because we moved back to a weekly format. So our 95th draft was a wonderful, we had some wonderful guests in Rihanna Meta and Kevin McGuire came by, talked about our you know, our gaps in our movie history and things like that. And then on the 96th draft, we did another edition of Tiff Talk uh, where we talked about uh, Clifford and other things that are playing at the uh, festival. Clifford being the biggest one, you know, (laughs) (laughs) the big red one. Um, Please go follow us on Letterboxd where you can get all of our Speaking uh, of Clifford. The dogs. Or, yeah, there you go. They heard Clifford. Um, all of our ratings, reviews, uh, you know, schedules, updates, uh, personal profiles, all that jazz over on my hatred uh, of saw. Uh, yeah. Uh, on uh, untitled podcasts on Letterboxd, untitled underscore cast on all those other social medias. And as always, my name is Matt Rohrbeck. You can find more of my work around the internet, but mostly at untitledmoviepodcast.com. And you can follow me on all those social medias at Matt Rohrbeck. And I'm Eric Marchin. You can find more of my video reviews at rogerstv.com. So I send him a scene on the social media is at EM6211. Until next time. Blame Camelot.